Hi friends, I'm Tanya Luna, psychology researcher and educator. And I'm Brian Luna. think I have a small phobia of secondhand clothing. And you're listening to Talk, Talk Psych, Psych to, to me. me, a show where we take research out of the lab and into the street. Let's get into it. So you may have noticed, listeners, that this episode is coming out a bit late. We usually release episodes by Monday, but decided to wait until today to tease you a bit. Mm-hmm. Since today, we're going to be talking about the psychology of lust. Lust. And we often want what we can't get. Yeah, and we also ran out of time, so. Okay, my version sounded intentional, so let's go with that one. Okay, fine. So we're getting started with this bittersweet episode. It is the last of our seven plus Deadly Sins compilation. How are you feeling about that, Brian? I feel good. Let's wrap this sucker up. I've been waiting for this one. You're done with sins? or you? No, no, no. I've been waiting for, yeah, every week I'm in like lust. First of all, let's define it. What is lust? Uncontrollable desire and passion. Okay. Yeah. I I said that last one with a rose in my mouth. All right. So in short, lust, it is defined as a strong sexual desire. Okay. Mine sounded better. Mine sounded a little more romantic. Strong sexual desire makes sound like a... Can I get the rose back? No, strong (laughs) sexual desire sounds like like a one night stand or something. Yeah, well, that's kind of what lust is. Yeah, but lust could be longer than a one-night stand. We'll talk about that today. All right, bring it on. So, here's the confusing thing. Mm -hmm. Lust, clearly an evolutionary mechanism to get us to make more humans. Mm -hmm. Why is it a sin? I guess when you think about, like, marriage was seen under the eyes of God and anything outside. So, like, if you stray from your marriage, if you Ah, lust after someone. Got it. So, you were thinking lust was seen as a sin because it would mess up monogamy. Yeah, but also as an uncontrollable desire, much like if you go to the the book of, you know, Genesis and you you think about like how they couldn't resist the urge for the Mm. apple and the temptation, like lust, temptation, all that stuff kind of ties in together. That's why I think it's considered a sin. Do I think it's a sin? No. So St. Thomas Aquinas, who was the 13th century priest, doctor, and generally very influential in the sin philosophy community, Mm -hmm. he wrote that lust unloosens the human spirit, making us lose all reason. That Mm. was his reason reasoning for why uh, lust is one of the big sins. He believed sex for the purpose of procreation was fine. Sex for the sake of pleasure was a sin. (laughs) (laughs) This is a guy probably like... To his credit, I do want to point out that he did write extensively about nocturnal emissions, aka wet dreams. I know what nocturnal emissions are. Yeah. He felt that those were totally fine and not a sin, mostly because he believed that there were demons stirring up your imagination in your sleep. (laughs) <laughs> you know, this this guy's an enabler. An this enabler? guy, yeah, he's just I like... I think that was a pretty good justification. Well, that's what I'm saying. Like, he's just trying to make it everything... It's not me. It's the demon stirring in yeah. my in my gut or whatever he says. Like, in whatever. his imagination. Oh, imagination. Whatever. <laughs> yeah, it's lame. Okay, so let's get into the psychology of lust. Take responsibility, because... Aquinas. Yeah. I didn't feel like he was taking responsibility. No! Yeah. Demons in my imagination. So let's take responsibility right, for lust because we're going to get into the psychology of it today. We're going to talk about what lust is beyond mm-hmm. the sin. So what is it? What is it in our brains? What is it in our bodies? What triggers it? Does it really make us irrational? Does it really unloosen the human spirit? Yes. Oh. Spoiler alert. Oh, I, yes. I thought that was a question. I thought that was legit. <laughs> you looked at me like you <laughs> Oh, sorry. I should practice my rhetorical question. <laughs> <laughs> well, you looked at me and you nodded like, right? And I was like, Yeah. Okay, so, so we'll we'll get into that. We'll hear your perspective. And we'll talk about how do you get more lust should you want even more of this. Oh, sh- so we're going to we're gonna teach people how to unlock lust? Teach is a strong word. We'll titillate. Boy, you're really throwing them out there today. <laughs> titillate. <laughs> all right. So first of all, 
I want to tackle the topic of lust at an individual level. Mm -hmm. Brian Luna, how lusty would you say you are? Like, you mean, what's my lust appeal? No, 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 not, not how much you make 10. other people lust. I can speak to that. But yeah. How, how much lust do you feel? Jeez, how lust Like on a feel? scale of... I don't know how to measure one, that. One, which is like like a damp paper towel, to ten, which what? is like... A raging sea? Yeah. Oh, jeez. Okay, I'm like a 8.78. Wow. Yeah. All right. That's yeah. pretty... So that's like a raging lake? Because I think, I, I think like, you can't control a raging sea. Yeah. You know, so, I, and, and me, I've got a... So you're like a raging sea with a dam. No, I didn't say a raging sea. Oh. I, I'm more like a, a strong river. So like most things, our propensity for lust is on a spectrum with sexual thrill seeking, that's like the raging sea, and even sex addiction being on one end of the spectrum and asexuality at the other end of the spectrum. It actually wasn't even until 1980, thanks to researcher Michael Storms, that we started to even see asexuality as a sexual orientation. It's the A in LGBTQIA. A stands for asexual and or ally. And what is asexuality exactly? So asexuality is a lack of interest in sex. You could feel sexual pleasure, but you're some people. So some people feel sexual pleasure. Some people don't even feel sexual pleasure at all. But these are individuals who just are not interested in sex. About 1% of the population considers themselves asexual, though it's really hard to know for sure since we rarely talk about it as a society. But even at 1%, that's roughly 77 million people worldwide. That's like more people than listen to this podcast. And I'm not being funny here. I'm not making, I'm not judging it by any means. I'm asking like, Either something happened or... Like, yeah, a lot of so people ask the... that question. So there is a percentage of people for whom they are not interested in sex or not able to enjoy sex because of some form of trauma. But there are also plenty of people that it seems to be just sexual orientation. We even see it quite often in non-human animals as well. There's more and more evidence that it's yeah. more like a sexual orientation. Just and, like, there, right. like there are some people who are super into sex who are yeah. very lusty. And there are some people for whom it's just not a thing. And I already feel bad that I feel like I judge that like that's some kind of abnormality thing because like the idea that because okay so i grew up as we know you always make fun of me every week i grew up in the 80s <laughs> just to clarify i make fun of you every day every day we record this podcast <laughs> so every week i grew up in the 80s i don't know how many listeners grew up in the 80s or know of these movies but i grew up with like porkies and all these movies like you know that were all these porkies? raunchy comedies okay. uh going after sex and the whole movie yeah. literally the plot is i gotta get sex right. you know and i gotta do whatever i gotta do to get that sex you know and and hijinks ensue and you know for me that was like the norm right society put in front of me saying this is how you kind of have well, to be that's what's so interesting about this i didn't mean to make it sound like asexuality was like um you had to be traumatized or anything like i guess some people just it just isn't a factor right yeah. like it, it just doesn't... yeah and imagine how confusing that is if right, you grow up right. and you're like watching all these things that are telling you how lusty you're supposed to be and you're like i'm not feeling that is there something wrong with me so i'm curious to hear your thoughts on that like in u.s culture i would say we're generally quite sexually repressed and there's a lot of sex shaming and there's oh, a lot of like don't have there are a lot of opinions about how much sex you should be having and that you shouldn't be having sex with these people and that you oh, should right. make sure you know people if you're having sex with them but then we get on the other side of the spectrum people are like oh but you should be having some sex right 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 anywho i guess i wanted to bring it up just to say that lust aka sexual desire is on a spectrum so nothing that we talk about today is meant to state that there's a correct or good degree of lust only you know the answer me yeah I would say only you, listener, <laughs> oh. and Brian, 
and Brian, <laughs> who seems to know most things, know the answer to that question. That is up to you both. Okay, so we've established that the degree of lust that someone feels is somewhat trait-driven, meaning that it depends on some combination of your genes and your experience. Now, let's get into what makes us lust after someone in particular, or even just feel attracted to them. What do you think? What you've experienced in your life, who your role models have been, um, what your early influences are, maybe even some of your earlier introductions to sex. Yeah, I mean, basically, that's exactly what research says. Number one... (laughs) proximity has the biggest role to play in when it comes to attraction. What does Hannibal Lecter say? We covet what we see every day. (laughs) Yes. A related concept is similarity. Before I explain this, though, I would like to recreate a version of an experiment with you done by Lang, Vermeer, and Sulitved. Okay? Mm -hmm. So I'm going to show you two people, and I want you to just very quickly glance at them and tell me who is more attractive, person A or person B. Okay. So you're just going to look at the picture and say A or B. (laughs) <laughs> come on man i'm a <laughs> you think i can't see myself what am i a dog i can't reckon myself in the mirror b is more attractive a is a hound dog with long hair that's me <laughs> that is actually not you it's a composite of you and person yeah. b yeah i know i got that okay yeah it's, but it's me i mean I, I i composite my ass i'm that's me with a goddamn wig and and really nice eyes actually i might post this Shit. all right so that's maybe, my new tinder shit this might what what <laughs> This may be just a reflection on my poor Photoshop skills. What I attempted to do was Come recreate... Come on, you see, people fall for this? Yeah. I mean, like, what these researchers found is that people tend to rate people more attractive when they look at a Photoshopped version of a composite <laughs> of their own face and another person's but, face. Like, I can see Trump falling for this, but I, there's no way I'm going <laughs> to fall for that. These somewhat surprising thing is that the same Jeez, why can't, I can't, you I can't, can't stop, stop staring looking, at it. I can't stop looking because I was like is that my cousin? It looks like my aunt like who is this? It does look like Aunt Rosie it doesn't does it? It does look like Aunt Rosie Yeah. Stop staring at I it. I can't help it but I saw it immediately. I was like there's no way that's not me <laughs> oh, that's Put it away. Creeps. Put it away So what I wanted to say is that the same effect shows up when people see a composite version of a stranger and their parents. What? <laughs> They'll find the people uh, who Freud look party of two more like their parents is more attractive so why do you think this is it didn't work on you but again i blame my photoshop skills but why do you think that in general people find pictures of individuals who look like themselves or their parents more familiarity familiarity and i think as much as anyone hates to admit this their first introduction into sex are their parents freud no no no. i need another chair at this freud party of three because, like, when you first learn about what sex is, where you came from, and you're like, oh, oh, you know, like, oh, but my mom and dad, did. oh, no, you know, or you see them kiss, or you see, like, some kind of affection, and you know that there's something okay, there. So you're thinking there's an imprinting that happens. I do. And well, how about I mean, for your own face? For your own face, that I, I don't know who would fall for that. <laughs> I, I mean, actually, I can name about 13 people. Uh, 12 of them, them, 12 them are listeners. All right. <laughs> so, one strange phenomenon is. Dun, 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 dun. One strange thing that happens is Mm -hmm. that couples tend to look alike. Do you think you and I look alike? Absolutely. I get us confused all the time. (laughs) 
I'm like, look at my hair and my, <laughs> what am I doing in a bathing suit? Oh, yeah, that's Tanya. <laughs> no, I don't think so. We I are, think we act alike. Yeah. Yeah. But, we are the same exact height. We are exactly five four and a half. Well, no, I'm five five. Yeah, you were 5'5 five, five on your driver's license. And that's a legal document. But again, it's more complicated. So researchers Ortega and Hergovich found that online dating is leading to more mixed race couples. So maybe now that we don't have to have sex with the people who live right near us, mm-hmm. attraction is changing. The Pew Research Center found that in the U.S., about 20% of couples were mixed race as of 2015, as opposed to just 7% in 1980. We're a mixed race couple. Would you recommend it to others? Absolutely. Well, not that there's anything wrong with my race. I'm just saying, like, I think you should go out there and mix in a mingle and a mingle and mix. <laughs> in order to expand the world, you have to go and, and mingle amongst others that aren't like you. And there's more to this less discussion. Various studies have focused on things like facial symmetry, hip-to-waist ratio. Uh, oh, yeah. Stereotypically <laughs> masculine or testosterone-produced or feminine or estrogen-produced characteristics. Yeah. Stuff like that. But here's the challenge. Mm-hmm. It's a bit of a chicken or the egg problem. So okay. do we find these things attractive especially these kind of like sex normative or gender normative characteristics? Do we find them attractive because that's what's culturally represented? Mm -hmm. Or is there some biological standard of sexiness? (laughs) I think it's cultural. So there is some evidence that certain ideals, like symmetry, for example, might be predictors of things like health and fertility. But it's not that simple. So here's a cool study done by Batras and Perret where they showed images to people in El Salvador without internet access. It turns out that the people without internet access had totally different ideals of attractiveness, especially compared to sexual dimorphism. So that's like testosterone versus estrogen-related physical Mm -hmm. characteristics. And also something called facial adiposity, which is the perception of weight in someone's face. The people with internet access were more likely to find women with dainty features and men with kind of bigger, stronger features, as well as women with slimmer faces more attractive. The people without internet access, so the ones that were just looking to their community Mm -hmm. as standards of beauty, it was the exact opposite. So they preferred, quote, more feminine men, so men with more dainty features, more masculine women, and heavier women. So in short, a strong predictor of what we find attractive is what we grow up being told is attractive. Right, right, absolutely. What you just said. (laughs) I remember, I remember growing up and seeing the movies and and seeing like who the object of affection was. And so there, so in a movie there was always, (laughs) so there was always like the bad girl, and she might have been deemed as kind of like more promiscuous and everything. She was like the rebel, a little mean, but a little like she had more fire. And then they had like the little angelic virgin, so to speak, that was the object of desire. And I always dug. The firecracker, like it was just, it was just something. Like I never went for the, for the angelic sweet. But think about even if they were white, what was their hair color? The good girl and the bad girl. The good girl is the blonde one. Brunette or dark hair. And you see this even with colorism all the time. Mm -hmm. All over the world, the more angelic the person, the lighter the skin tone. Yeah, absolutely. But the point that you're bringing up is so important because what we see shapes our desires. It Mm -hmm. shapes our perception of beauty, of attractiveness, of covetousness. But here's another way to study attraction that seems to avoid the chicken and the egg dilemma. Uh-huh. So, Brian, yeah. I'm going to recreate another experiment, first conducted by Klaus Wiedekind. Do I have your permission? Klaus Wiedekind? Yeah. Yes, you do. Yes. <laughs> so I'm, gonna... I'm not holding ice. <laughs> I'm not touching. I'm not. If you bring ice up here, I'm going to throw it right back at you. <laughs> I'm not going to have you do okay. the cold press test. Pretty. However, I am going to ask you to close your eyes. <laughs> okay. Yeah. 
Brian Luna. Yes. I'm going to give you two items to smell. What? Get out of here. Are you nuts? No way. Are you guys understand? I grew up. You have come on. Agreed. I grew up with jocks in Texas. I'm not okay. doing that game. You've agreed to participate in this experiment. Uh, Are you withdrawing I have consent? a very strong gag reflex. Just keep that in mind. Okay. I don't know. All right. I'm going to give you two articles of, of clothes uh, to smell. I'm already getting ready. I'm, I know this is going to be. One uh, of them I've worn. And one of them I have not worn. Okay. I want you to sniff each one, A and B, and tell me which one you find more attractive. Oh, no. You know, this is bad. This is going to be bad for you, Amy. I'm, I've com- got... I'm, I'm comfortable with, with the All right. consequences. All uh, right, ready? Okay. What, do I grab it or do you just no, put it no, in my don't, face? No, no, don't grab it. I'm just putting it your face and you sniff. Ready? Mm-hmm. Give it like a big old whiff. Okay. Okay. All this right. is A. <laughs> okay, and mm-hmm. let's go for B. Wait, hold on. Okay, which one do you find? Wait, which wait. one? Nope, that's all. That's all you get. I want you to decide which one feels smells more attractive. A. A. Yeah. Yay! I wore this one <laughs> for like three days in a row. You huh? open your eyes. Huh? <laughs> well, the worst part is that I've been trying to wear this shirt as an experiment, and you keep putting it in the laundry. Well, yeah, you because I love doing it. laundry, <laughs> and you leave your clothes everywhere. It's a little insight into our. What was the other thing? Just like a, an old hat. <laughs> yeah, I'm pretty relieved that you picked A. Yeah, it was a hint of laundry and it had your scent. It was great. <laughs> of course, you had to give yourself credit for it. Well, hint know. of laundry. <laughs> I got to say, the pressure was really high for me to find something to give you to smell because I was smelling things that I hadn't worn, but they smelled so freaking good because you had done the laundry. Yeah. So I had to find something you hadn't laundered in a while, but that was still clean. Okay. Anyway, so the way that this experiment was originally conducted was by having straight women smell the shirts of different men that they didn't know mm-hmm. who had slept in those shirts for two nights. Oof. And then they had to rate which smells they found least and most sexy. Did they know any of the men? No, they didn't oh, know the men. Interesting. Yeah. Any hypotheses around what they found? Yeah. The stinkier guys, the ones who sweat didn't do so well in these tests. <laughs> I'd imagine the ones that sweat like a soccer team didn't do so hot. So actually what they found was that there were no objectively sexier shirts. They were different for all the different women. The sexier shirts to the women were worn by men with the most different MHC genes. MHC genes, which stands for Major Histocompatibility Complex, are genes that help the immune system recognize foreign matter. Turns out that MHC gene diversity... So if my genes are really different from your genes, mm-hmm. we're likely to have better fertility and for our offspring to have stronger immune systems. Interesting. There's a super interesting tension with us as humans where we need both some degree of familiarity, maybe to feel safe, yeah. or yeah. maybe to your point, maybe it's an imprinting thing that happens, but we also need some degree of difference. You have too much familiarity and we start to feel like siblings, which is generally not mm. sexy. And again, we're really generalizing in this episode today. Many people feel sexual attraction because of appearance and scent, but there are countless other lust triggers. So for example, there are sapiosexual people who can feel sexual desire if they're attracted to someone's intellect and demisexual people Mm -hmm. who can only feel sexually turned on once they feel an emotional connection. So lust is exquisitely unique to each person. Interesting. So we know that lust triggers are varied, but now let's talk about the impact of lust. So earlier you made the claim that lust makes us stupid. Is that speaking from personal experience? Uh, excuse me? Yes, it is. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, you, I look... I remember having a crush on a young lady named Stephanie in the eighth grade. I thought it'd be really cool to carve her initials into my arm. And I was like, she is going to dig this. 
People can write poems. This is what I'm going to do. Wait, with your penmanship? It wasn't good penmanship. And Yeah, because and- I see how you write on paper. <laughs> And I feel bad for the paper. If that's carved into flesh. Yeah. It, I mean, luckily it didn't scar. It did for a while, but it was just really, it was just really stupid. And with my but, luck, if I did that, I'd misspell it. <laughs> oh, you <laughs> dyslexic. Uh, no, no. But especially I think when we're younger, we definitely don't have the skill set to level out what's a good decision and what's a bad decision in terms of lust. So what was her reaction? Um. Wow. Well, oh my God. She was head over heels. And... Uh, <laughs> Oh, no, wait. She was disgusted. She didn't talk to me for about two months. Just enough time for it to heal. (laughs) We won't get into in this episode, but in our disgust episode, we did touch on this interesting relationship between disgust and lust. The more disgust we feel, the less capable we are of feeling lust. So that was not a good move for you. No, 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 no. Why I thought that would be better than a box of chocolates, I don't know. But again, goes back to making you dumb. So from a brain perspective, neuroscientists Sergei Stolero and team compared the brain activity of allosexual and asexual men. Allosexual people are folks who experience sexual attraction. So it's the opposite end of the spectrum from asexual. They showed them some porn and they monitored their brainwave activity. What they found was that the asexual men's frontal cortex was activated, meaning they were thinking. The allosexual men the ones who were roused, their limbic system was activated, their frontal cortex was not. In other words, <laughs> it might be that lust shuts down the thinking part of our brain. Uh, 100%. <laughs> I think that fact is exploited in our society by mm-hmm. pairing sex with points of purchase, for example. So like showing sexy people in ads, the Abercrombie and Fitch naked dudes mm-hmm. still don't fully understand, but <laughs> don't hate yeah, it. Yeah, how are you going to advertise clothes without showing them? Yeah, why like are you everyone's the naked. clothes? But it's used in really weird ways, too. Like in the pharmaceutical industry, there's kind of this bad reputation of pharma babes, mm-hmm. which are these, you know, kind of conventionally beautiful women that go around selling medicine. Yeah. I mean, those two things should not go hand in hand. <laughs> it's, it's something that's used in finance. It's certainly often used as a tool in selling alcohol. Cars. Cars. Uh, like, you know, at car at car shows. Yeah. Doing so the idea is that it kind of scrambles our brains. For example, a study by Salter, Mixon, and King found that real estate agents rated as more attractive made more money. So you're literally buying a house that you're probably living with someone else in because your real estate agent is more attractive. That's why I bought it off of Dean. Yeah, our real estate agent. Yeah, Dean. Thanks, Dean. Yeah. I do want to point out that lust and attraction may be different. So just because you find someone good looking, it doesn't mean that you want to have sex with them. Sorry, Dean. Sorry, Dean. So it might not be just lust that makes us dumber, but also attraction and especially love. Like with Stephanie, was it lust? Do you think you were lusting after her? No, no. I think I thought I was in love with her. Yeah, and so Helen Fisher, a famous love and attraction researcher, you might have heard me talking about her. Mm -hmm. She's another one of my researcher crushes. She's found, she and her team have found that when we're in love, our brains are flooded with dopamine and our serotonin levels plummet, leaving our brains looking like a combination of schizophrenia and obsessive compulsive disorder. I could see that. Fisher describes love as someone camping in your head. Yeah. When we first fell in love and got together, everything about what we knew about love, about relationships was thrown out the window. And we had to like, every day we were redefining like what we thought 
Yeah, and do it you was, think we were stupid? I don't think we were stupid. I do think that we weren't all within our faculties. Like now we've settled and we're not so reactive, you know, mm-hmm. or we're not so compulsive. What's a bad decision you think we made because of being in the throes of Well, I mean, love even Okay, here here it didn't turn out bad, but we were very lucky. You moved in immediately like on our second date yeah so on valentine's on day. valentine's day i mean imagine that like imagine that for a second yeah you moved in i guess just because before it we out... knew yeah. what we were like <laughs> at all you know i mean it was very like second date and the worst part it was my idea like i asked you yeah and i blame you for this whole night totally 11 years later almost I'm 12 in. years later i take it even the decision to get married what was a little rash nine months later <laughs> and not nine months because of any babies or no 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 not it. nine months that was a rash decision yeah i guess just because we're happy with how it turned out doesn't mean it was a good decision <laughs> right right no <laughs> I mean, no, no it doesn't I, mean it was a thought 100 percent. i would say those are two rash. i don't know what do you think were no we, i mean were I we, guess, do you think we were dumb i think so i mean i think if i think about our first three to four months together it was like we weren't eating we weren't sleeping we were just like <laughs> stay up all night talking and yeah. you know getting yeah. together and all that kind yeah. of stuff <laughs> so i yeah i think looking back i've always thought of those as good choices but if i'm honest they were good outcomes yes as a result of poorly <laughs> thought out choices <laughs> So Helen Fisher, her argument is that we can't blame lust for that. That's actually love. She points out that love, not lust, is what drives things like depression, aggression, and even self-harm when someone is rejected or when someone has their heart broken. Oh, wow. So her yeah. perspective is like, don't blame lust. Lust makes you a little dumb. Love makes you all the way dumb. I think also love lasts longer, right? Because lust is a flash. Yeah, lust like, is meant to just be yeah. seconds. Lastly, I want to point out that Freud had a very different point of view about lust, obviously. Talk about my mom. (laughs) No, I mean, he actually felt that our sexual energy is the most important creative force in the world, and not just for making babies. His perspective was that the repression of lust leads to sublimation, which is a positive coping mechanism with lust because you can't go around having sex with everyone. And that lust, that repressed lust turns into art, turns into music, turns into Mm. business ideas. What do you think about that? I think it's funny that, like, oh, I can't have sex with everyone I just saw today. Let me go write a sonnet. You know, like, okay, no, Freud. Uh, I don't agree with a lot of Freud. I think he was a creep too. But I do think there is some something there to like, if you feel a passion in, in you, that it stirs something up and it could be creative. I guess that that's the tricky thing. And we can talk about this in later episodes too, this sort of spectrum of lust, attraction, love, attachment. Lust is kind of the first spark of that. Mm-hmm. Okay, so in our last few minutes together, let's get more into the positive side of lust. Because sin or not, many people say they want to feel more rather than less of it, especially if they felt it in the past in their relationship and now they're feeling less of it which is a really common complaint Mm -hmm. why do you think people in long-term relationships feel less lust over time familiarity i think uh lust is something that catches you off guard or that like is new or fresh when you see something every day you kind of take it for granted unless you can reframe it and make yourself more appreciative of what you see every day Mm. then you're always going to be in that rut of not of not appreciating it's this super weird tension so the famous couples therapist esther perel another researcher crush i know yeah yeah points out that our lust urge and our bonding urge are total opposites of each other. 
So hmm. lust is typically sparked by the new and unfamiliar, to your point, but long-term love and bonding releases oxytocin, which is the cuddle chemical and yep. not at all sexy. So to feel lust, we need to feel like strangers. To feel love, we need to feel like family. Hmm. That's kind of messed up, right? It is. It is. But it makes a lot of sense because, like we said, love lasts longer. Right. So that's going to bond a family, whereas lust is a flash in the pan. Once you're done, you're probably going to want to go your separate ways. Yeah. And from an evolutionary perspective, the mechanism behind that might be that maybe you don't want to be too lusty once you already have kids. You want to just focus on raising them mm-hmm. and bonding. Yeah. Here's a fun study by Helen Fisher and her team that shows a little bit more of this phenomenon. So, did I say phenomenon twice? Phenomenon. Oh no, I'm in a loop. All right. So anyway, Fisher and her team showed people these erotic videos and they showed people the same exact film clips. But in one condition, they described this couple that was in the film as being in love. And in the other condition, they were like, here's a couple having a chance casual encounter. Which description do you think led to more sexual arousal? I don't know. I mean, like, if you're asking me, I would say the people were in love. <laughs> but I'm sure what was is, like, the two strangers. But Yeah. Yeah. It was totally the strangers, but that's really nice, <laughs> I, I know. It's stupid. I mean, I'm not trying to gas Well, that's not stupid anything. at all. That explains why our rash decision ended up pretty yeah, good after all these But I don't want anybody to think, like, oh, you just said that because... Well, anyway, they found that, in general, people experienced more arousal if they saw the same exact video and they thought of it as strangers. Mm-hmm. This is a difficult thing we have to contend with as a society. This is what Esther Perel talks a lot about, is that there's a lot of pressure now on couples to be the everything for each other, mm-hmm. to be the people that give each other that feeling of lust, to give each other the feeling of bonding, the feeling of family, the yeah. feeling of friendship, even personal development and growth. So if you want to feel more love, attachment, and bonding, the answer is tell each other all your secrets, spend lots of time together, brush your teeth together, stuff like that. Wear like matching pajamas, probably. Oh, that's lame. Don't do, don't be a couple that wears matching no? pajamas. No. Aww. If y'all both want to wear onesies, but yeah. as long as they're not matching. But if you y'all you want to wear like Batman and I'm in Superman, like that's, that's lust. That's lust. That okay. can be. Yeah. If we both wear Batman, that's love. That's love. Okay, this makes sense. This Besides, explains everything. Who wants two Batman in the same? Like that's just weird. One of you is not the real Batman. <laughs> if it's a onesie none of you are the real batman but we'll talk about that later so in short focus on feeling more togetherness if you want to feel more of that love feeling Mm -hmm. but if you want to feel more lust you have to find ways to feel more otherness Mm. this means spending some time apart more flirting more teasing perhaps introducing more jealousy into your relationship my personal favorite surprise each other i like that what do you got brian um, I got surprise each other, um, <laughs> be different from each other, and no, brush your what teeth you... at different times. <laughs> That's what I got. What are your what's, what are your secrets <laughs> to keeping lust alive? I love the surprise thing. I mean, I really do. That's the biggest thing: laughing and surprising. That bond is passionate for me. Keeping everyone on their toes, making it fun. Making everyone, it fun. huh? Everyone, I'm saying everyone out there, like oh, everyone, not like everyone. And that wraps up our <laughs> no, episode listen, as like, Brian no, keeps no. you on your toes, <laughs> no. listeners. I'm saying like everyone keep uh, everyone else's significant others on their toes, make it playful, make it fun. And then honestly, one of the big things, no judgment. 
yeah. of yourself. Like, oh, I don't want to do this and feel stupid. Like, I don't want to try to entice my significant other and feel dumb. Like, yeah. no judgment on either side. That has to be going into it what it means. Yeah, and maybe that's the challenge of lust and love coexisting in one relationship is that the stakes become higher and higher and higher. Mm. Versus if you picture this as a stranger, in some ways, you don't have to be quite as careful because you don't have to worry about what this person will think of you later. Yeah, yeah. I love that. So judgment-free, surprise, brush your teeth separately. Brush your teeth at different times. <laughs> All right, so... <laughs> This wraps up our last episode on the 7 Plus Deadly Sins miniseries. That's right. We are going to take a few weeks off from the show to focus mm-hmm. on a web series. Yeah. yeah. Keep, you, keep you lusting. Keep, keep you, you enticing. Wanting so us. What web We've series? We've been too available, We've right? been too available. We're be a little bit less available. I'm going to be so... Le- I'm not even talking. That's how unavailable I am. Oh, wow. No. But so tell us about the, this week, web we just series. Release, like an episode of silence. Of <laughs> It'll just be an episode of you sniffing my clothes. Weird. <laughs> creep. Yes, web series. Yes. Brian, Luna, and I like to make lots of things. We like to make this podcast. We like to make... Cake. We, we like, like to, to make, make web series. Web series. So we're creating our new web series. We already have one out on Amazon. It is called... The Last Rodriguez. Not to be confused with the first, first Rodriguez. Rodriguez. We are now working on a new web series with our co-writer, co-producer, the wonderful Alyssa Green. Woo! It is called... The Way Through. It is not out yet. We're just in the filming stages of it. Don't worry. We are filming through Zoom. So there is yep. continued social distancing happening. But art goes on. I guess art it's because we're repressing our lust. <laughs> I'm not. Yeah. (laughs) So we're going to be back after just a few weeks with some fresh new psychology experiments. Hopefully some of those will involve Brian holding ice cubes. I ain't holding no ice. And some brilliant new guests. That's right. In the meanwhile, keep talking psych to us. Leave a review, share on social, and send us your psych questions and episode requests on Instagram at Talk Psych to Me Podcast. Oh, I'm getting a question right now. I got a caller. Yes? (laughs) So with that in mind... We'd like to say goodbye for now. We'll be back soon. And thank you for listening to Talk Talk Psych Psych to to Me. Me.